let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, I thank you for this morning, this day that you made. I praise you and thank you for the privilege that it is to even be alive and to be in front of you. And Lord, we remember that you are the one true God, the only God, and the God that rules over everything, and you sustain us, and we are here this day by your sustaining grace. So we recognize you and we remember you this morning. I thank you for each and every one of these men who is here, Lord. We think of the men who are not here as well. We are grateful for them as well. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you do when you bring men into fellowship with one another. As we come into contact with one another and we listen to one another and we share together, Lord, I praise you for what you're doing. Lord, we are here um, and we have a, a great task in front of us to care for one another and to share and to listen. And I pray, Lord God, that you would attend to us. Uh, we cannot do this on our own, Lord. In our own strength, we will certainly run astray. But I pray for each and every one of these men. I pray for myself as well, that you would attend to each of us, and you would care for us, and you would grow us, and you would make us men who are equipped to serve the function that you have us to function in. So we give this time to you. We pray that you would use it for your glory, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. What we'll do this week is the same thing we do every week we get together, and that is that uh, we want to just remember and keep in front of ourselves the build disciplines. And we don't share the build disciplines because we, we think that anybody has forgotten them or doesn't know them. Um, we put them in front of us just to remind us of how important it is to, to keep good biblical principles in front of us. And the first principle, the first discipline that we want everybody to remember it don't want anybody to lose sight of is, is how important it is to shepherd our hearts on a very consistent basis. And we do that by coming before the Lord with his word open, and we're reading his word, we're taking it in, and we do it by communicating back to the Lord in prayer. And that is what prepares us for the rest of our life, the rest of the day that the Lord has for us. And uh, the most important part of that day is, is whatever our home life is like, whether we live alone or whether we live with a family, or a wife, or children, or parents, or any other thing, our heart shepherding prepares us for a productive home life. Because we have the truth of God that is spoken to us, and we have humbled ourselves to a point where we have spoken back to God. And that is the kind of man we want to be uh, when we enter into our family. That assists us when we're in our home and we're talking with roommates. That assists us when we're talking with wives. That assists us when we're disciplining our kids and correcting our kids. I've already had one of those conversations this morning. Uh, what a blessing it is to be able to take the fruit of good heart shepherding into the other relationships that the Lord has with us, as for us in our home. The man who has shepherded himself well in his heart, who is caring well for his home, is a man who is ready to enter into ministry at a local church. And we believe that here at Grace Bible Church, and we believe that um, the most effective ministry that a person can be involved in is a ministry that he's involved in when he brings the fruit of his heart shepherding into his home. And he comes into this church as a man whose home is in a good place. And when we say ministry, we, we understand that there are formal ministries at this church. There are many people here, and even in this room, who serve in formal ministries, whether it's being a teacher in Next Generation Ministries or leading a small group or anything else. But ministry is also when you are just standing in a, a room like this and you're talking with guys and you're sharing what your life is like, you're sharing what the Lord has done in your life this week and what he has shown you in, in his word, what you're learning as you're training your kids and raising your kids and driving them to school and all kinds of other things. Every one of those things is ministry. 
And you are best equipped for that when you shepherd your heart and you bring that heart shepherding into your home and you come as a man who's done all of that together. So those are the first three disciplines. We want to make sure we keep all of those in front of you. And as you continue to do all of those things, shepherding your heart, caring well for the home that the Lord has put you in, and interacting well in the body of Christ, you are becoming a man who is, in our fourth discipline, well qualified for service in the church in a formal role as a deacon. And uh, the deacon qualifications are spelled out for us, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And uh, every man should be aiming at those things. But when you are caring for your own heart, when you are living well within your home, when you're functioning well in the local church, that is the kind of man that you become. So we want to put that in front of you. In a Grace Bible Church, we believe that every man should be on a continual, never-ending quest to truly understand better how to interact with God's Word. If you are going to be reading God's Word for the rest of your life, if you're going to have it open in front of you and you're going to be reading it, you want to be growing on a regular basis in your ability to understand what you're reading. That's true for me, and that's true for every other guy on the elder board. That's true for every deacon at this church. That's true for every man at this church. We want to grow in our ability to understand uh, what God is teaching us. This morning, as I was spending time in uh, the Gospel of John, I was reading Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. And for the first time in, in my life, I really understood that Nicodemus said two things to Jesus. And Jesus' replies to Nicodemus were, were nothing along the lines of what Nicodemus was asking in his first two interchanges with Nicodemus. I had never seen that before. And uh, I praise God that he showed that to me, but um, I believe that's because um, the Lord uses us and grows us as we spend more time in his word and we we intentionally pursue how to understand his word better. He reveals himself more completely in scripture as we continue to read. So I want to just encourage each one of you guys, I know we've already heard this a few times, but we want to keep putting this in front of us. Pursue the build disciplines, and uh, the Lord will, will bring fruit from that. One of the things I wanted to share this morning was uh, something that has begun to help me in my prayer life with the Lord. We talk about discipline one being time spent reading God's Word, and then time spent talking back to God in prayer. And I don't know about you, but this happens to me all the time. I sit down... I've got my Bible in front of me, or I've got my iPad in front of me. I'm, I'm out on my back porch. It's dark, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, this, is a, this has got to be a good time. I, I need this time uh, with the Lord. I, I know I should be doing this. I know it is right for me to do this. Um, but I am just not up and running yet. I am not ready to roll in this. And I know I should be doing this, and I've got a schedule that I need to be keeping. And I need to be getting on to work here in a little bit, so uh, I need to get moving. I can't take forever to do this. Um, and I need this to be a really good time with the Lord. I want my prayer time to be, to be good and rich. And sometimes I close my eyes and I find myself thinking, Lord, how do I, how do I get moving in this in a way that is going to make this a meaningful time? One of the things that has, has helped me over the years is uh, to think of who it is that I'm communicating with, that I am communicating with a creator God. And... Uh, that grows my, my reverence for God. That grows my awareness of who God is. It helps me understand that I'm just not speaking to a wall. I'm not speaking to a ceiling. That I'm speaking to the God who created me and he created everything around me. One way that I, I find a good opportunity to grow in that is to either pray through or read through portions of Genesis chapter 1 as I am getting ready for my time with the Lord. And I remember that 
Um, in every one of these things that God did on each one of the days of creation, uh, God simply manifested his glory. He manifested his authority. He manifested his wisdom and his power. And uh, it is really helpful for me to, to contemplate those things uh, as I'm on the front end of my time alone with the Lord. And so when I'm reading, I, I read on day one that God simply spoke light into existence. He just spoke light into existence. He didn't make it. He didn't shape it. He didn't form it. He commanded light into existence, and it was. And this is before there was any space, before there was any dimension, before there was any time. And God separated light and darkness before there was anything else, simply with his word. That grows me in my, my awe and my reverence for him and helps me understand his authority better as I look at this. And I, I realize that I'm talking to a God who simply speaks and light appears out of nothing. And there was evening and there was morning on day one. And God begins to divide day and night together as he creates light and dark. And I remember that as I'm reading forward that God decides that he's going to create space. And so he speaks the heavens into existence. Let there be heavens. And so he creates this huge expanse and he calls it the heavens. And uh, so God is the one who creates dimension. He creates time. He creates space. And he simply created it by his word. How wise God is to create space before he creates all the things that are going to go into that space, including us. And as I walk through each one of the days, I, I just marvel at what God has done. And, and uh, it's how God speaks on the third day. He speaks into existence uh, the gathering together of the waters below the heavens. And he calls them seas. And he just speaks it into existence. And all of a sudden there is this ocean that never was there before. That is the God that I'm talking to right now. That he speaks dry ground into existence and he calls it land. And he puts vegetation on the land. How wise of God to, to do all of that. Um, to prepare a world that we would live in. So he puts the world for us to live in before he puts us there in the world. He creates everything that we need. And then on the fourth day, he creates structure and form and shape with all for the light that he created three days earlier. How wise of God that for three days there was light just pervading, but there was no source of light. There was no origin of light. There just was light. And God in his wisdom gave it shape, and he gave a greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And as Moses is writing this, he writes, and he created the stars also. And I think Moses had some understanding. He didn't have as much light pollution as we have. Um, he could see the stars, but we understand how much is beyond the reach of our naked eye. Um, and scripture just writes, and he created the stars also, trillions and trillions and trillions of stars that that have a color and a, a sound and a spatial orientation and a temperature that that baffles us as we even begin to try and comprehend what it is. Um, so it's really helpful to remember that God did all of those things on day four. Then you see more wisdom of God in day five as he fills the ocean with living creatures, each one after its own kind. And of course, he created the sea before he put the animals in it. How wise that was for him to do that. And he did the same thing with the birds of the air. He created the air first, and he created the, the heavens and the skies for them to fly in. And he created the vegetation for them to roost in and to feed off of uh, before he brought them into the world. And his marvel at God's wisdom and kindness. And the same thing in day six. He, he had the vegetation on the ground before he, he spoke uh, into existence everything that would walk on the surface of the ground, either the creeping animals or the, the livestock. And God did all of those things. He gave them everything they needed before they were, they were in the world. And I remember that in all of those things, God spoke those into existence. And it's just his power and his wisdom with his actual word. 
How important is his word to me if, if, if his word actually causes all of creation to come into being? But all of those things, God spoke in one direction. And, and when God created man, he created man in his own image. Chapter 2 of Genesis tells us that God formed us out of the dust of the earth with his own hands. So it tells us that we're different from every other thing. And back in chapter 1, the very first thing that God does for man is he communicates to man. And he tells man instructions. He says, I want you to do things. And he gives him very, very clear instructions. He says, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And you have dominion over everything. And we're different than everybody else because God doesn't communicate with every other part of his creation. He doesn't communicate with any other part of his creation. But he communicates with us. And so I remember that God is a creating God and God is a communicating God. And God is there for us to communicate with. So those are some thoughts that that help me prepare for my time alone with the Lord. When my heart is slow, my heart is dull, um, I wanted to share with you that remembering some of those things, uh, not every one of them every time, but some of those things on a regular basis help me remember who it is that I'm talking to. If I can keep that straight, if I can keep that front and center in my time with the Lord, that helps my time be a little bit more focused, a little bit more sincere, a little bit more genuine before the Lord. So I hope that is a blessing to you. All right, we are going to break into our discussion groups. So we're going to get back here at about 10 till 8. Be back here in time to hear from John Doobie. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. How's it going? Good to see you guys. Hey, Ben. This is a blessing. This is my first opportunity of teaching and build, so I finally made it. This is awesome. Cool. Thanks for having me, Scott. And just a blessing to be a part of this. Uh, like Scott said, we're going to uh, teach a message this morning that's entitled Troubling and Comforting Truths for My Heart or for Our Hearts. So hope you guys have that handout there. We have some fill in the blanks. We're going to we're going to fill those in and we'll talk through some passages. We're going to be kind of all over in our Bible. So I hope, hope you guys are ready to do that. Let's uh, let's bow our heads and, and pray and just ask that God would would help us this morning as we as we do this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truths of your word. I thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, uh, I thank you for as, as hard as it is. I thank you, Lord, for a mixed condition, uh, a condition, a transition, a, a period of time in which we are being conformed to your in image, Lord, uh, a period of time in which uh, our affections are growing and uh, sin is falling away and righteousness and holy living is uh, attaching itself to, uh, to us, Lord. Uh, I pray that this, this lesson, uh, this morning, would be just another instrument in, in, in our hands such that we would run towards you harder, that we would uh, run away from sin, uh, that we would be... Uh, we would be aware of the stark realities of sin and what it can do and how it can indeed trouble us, Lord. And, and uh, we would be amazed and encouraged, Lord, and ultimately comforted by uh, additional truths, Lord, uh, that we are not the one that, that acts uh, first, but you have acted and you continue to act in our lives, uh, drawing us closer and uh, we'll fill that in more, uh, Lord, this morning. Uh, help me, Lord, to communicate in a way that's clear. I ask, Lord, that uh, you would just help me to not be nervous and 
that I would depend on you in the words that I say, that I would trust you, uh, and uh, that you would be here this morning, and this would just be another uh, part of the puzzle as uh, you conform us to your image, Lord. We thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, men. Well, I'm sure you guys have are being becoming more and more familiar with our little handout here, uh, God's Transformation of Man. You probably talked through it a little bit in your in your uh, discussion groups this morning, and and uh, I see a lot a lot of your faces. I know you guys, so I know this is probably not the first time that you've seen this. Uh, but but I know there's probably a lot of you that there's a number of you that maybe this is this is brand new for you. This is a this is a, you know you've never seen a brochure like this. You've never seen a packaged you know the whole process of you know salvation packaged so, so neatly. And printed in such beautiful blue colors, uh, and so uh, just just to kind of you know I guess reorient ourselves because this lesson that we're teaching this morning is really kind of a second phase from this. So uh, you know you recall the unregenerate man here is the man who's without Christ. He's illustrated appropriately. He's darkened. Uh, he is in an unmixed condition, and so maybe that language is new to you guys. Unmixed. Uh, I like the little, the nomenclature here, unable not to sin. I think it's a Thomas Watsonism. Uh, he's unable not to sin. Uh, this man is unrighteous. Uh, he is without Jesus. He's dead in his sins. Uh, he walks in his sins. Uh, he is ultimately without Christ. And, and uh, there's, another, there's another category on the chart that's, that's unmixed as well, and that's over here. Right. And so the the original unregenerate man is he's in an unmixed condition and and the heavenly man as well. He's in an unmixed condition. Uh, I wrote on my on my chart, I wrote reversal. And so that's just how I like to think about it. It's it's like the other side of the coin. So he's unmixed over here and he's unmixed over here as well, Uh, except things are different over here. It's not that he's unable not to sin. It's that he's unable to sin. So this is the heavenly man. This is the, the man who's glorified. Uh, the saints that are with him even now are in this condition uh, to some degree. So, uh, But yet between these two conditions, right, there's this condition in the middle. Okay, And that condition is where you guys are at now. That's where we are all at right now if you believe, indeed, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and this we call the mixed condition. Uh, this is what it is to be in Christ. And here uh, he is able not to sin. He's able not to sin. So uh, in this mixed condition, uh, he has a new identity. He's a new creation. Uh, you have the process of regeneration, this re- regeneration event down here, but he wars against sin uh, in this condition. So, But he's able to have victory over that sin. And so what, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're just going to unpack this a little bit more. I'm going to give you three troubling truths uh, about your heart, and then then we're going to talk about uh, five comforting truths for your heart that exist all in this in this middle condition. So, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter four, and you should know that these these troubling truths they certainly address the unbeliever. Uh, they are true of the unbeliever, but because we're in a mixed condition, because of indwelling sin, these troubling truths. They still harass the believer. So I'll give you your first, our, your first blank. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. 
And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk or live as Gentiles do. How is that? In the futility of their minds. Further, or description of that in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. Why is that? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to, or again, because of their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. We're focusing here on that little phrase, because of the hardness of heart. This describes why the believers, or why unbelievers, excuse me, have a deeply ingrained ignorance. And this, this ignorance, it's not an accidental ignorance. Uh, this isn't the kind of ignorance that just somehow caught them by surprise. They, they couldn't say, I didn't see this ignorance coming. <clears throat> it's a planned ignorance. It's a purpose, purposeful, willful, or intentional ignorance. This is, this is like the child who disobeys her mommy, or, mommy or daddy and refuses to look mommy and daddy in the face. They, they know that they've done something wrong, but they refuse to accept that ignorance. Or excuse me, they accept to, to accept the fact that they have indeed broken, uh, broken the, the rules of mommy and daddy. They, they know that, that they're uh, disobeying mommy or daddy. It's a, it's a self-willed ignorance. I think of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where we read that the, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men and ungodliness uh, to those men who do what? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the, the, the word picture I always have is it's like, a, it's like being in a pool with a big beach ball and try to, trying to push the beach ball into the water. You know, the, the, These men are willfully trying to suppress this truth. They're, they're, they're trying to, 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 to take what they know to be true about God because it's been revealed to them and it's plain to them and they're trying to constantly suppress it. And that's the ignorance that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Uh, it's that kind of ignorance. It's a planned, purposeful, willful, intentional ignorance. And why do they do that? Why, do, why does the unbeliever suppress the truth? Well, he does so because he has hardness of heart. His heart is hardened. So to describe their ignorance, Paul turns to their heart. That is why they, they want to remain willfully ignorant to God and to his will. Their hearts are hard, dull, insensible. Their hearts cannot be penetrated. I think about the uh, being a painter like, you know, going to my work truck and you open up a can of putty or spackle or something and it's been sitting in the back of my truck for too long and it's, it's hard. It, it's, it's, it's impenetrable. I, I, I can't mold it and shape it into what I, what I want to, to mold it and shape it into. Or if you have kids, it's like, you know, when you go to the, the kids want to do Play-Doh, you go to the closet, you pull up the Play-Doh and you open the Play-Doh up and what happens? It's hard as a rock, right? You, you, you can't, you can't do anything with that Play-Doh. It's too hard. And so it is with our hearts. 
Our, our hearts are hardened and they can't be molded and shaped. They're not pliable. They're not soft. Uh, but they're, they're hardened. I don't know what you guys think about, you know, what the heart means and what that language means, but uh, we should say uh, that the heart is not simply a piece of you. Uh, it's not just some component of you, but it is you. It's who you are. Uh, it's who you are inwardly. It's your inner person. You might say it's the real you. So the unbeliever before God is, is hardened within. There is a deep ignorance that exists within him, within them. And it perverts them. It, it, and in fact, it prevents them from living in any way, bless you, it, it prevents them from living in any other way than, in, than that is described in verse 19. So because of this hardness of heart, you have verse 19. And there's no, there's no way out of this. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's, uh, let's just work a little bit backwards through these verses here. Uh, remember that the hardness of heart is the reason that answers the question why these, these unbelievers are, they have this ignorance in them. Why do they have this ignorance in them? It's because they have this harden, hardness of heart. And that is the cause of them being alienated from God, alienated from the life of God. That is the description of what it means to have a reasoning process that is flooded with spiritual darkness. So you see, they, they have this hardness of heart. The, the hardness of heart is, is at the bottom, you might say. And above that is this, this reality that, that there's an ignorance that's in them. And that's the reason why they're alienated and darkened in their understanding. And then there's the description of what they actually do. These, these Gentiles, these sinners, what they're, what they're doing is they're walking in the futility of their minds. And then there's the charge to us. The charge is to not do that, to not walk like the Gentiles do. And this kind of person, they, they can only do this. They can only do this one thing. There's no escape from it. They give their life wholly over to sensuality to greedily practice every impurity. This isn't a mixed condition. This is an unmixed condition. There's no friction against the sensuality and impurity. I, in my Bible, I, I circled these words that, you know, we think about the heart. We, we, we tend to think about emotion, uh, but, but there's, there's, the language is different. You know, he says the futility of their minds, uh, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, the, the idea of mind and understanding and ignorance speaks to what, what it really, what, what the heart's really talking about. I, I think I always think of the heart more as what's up here than some kind of emotion in here. But again, it is the real you, the, the inner man. From the mind to the understanding to their ignorance. And then who's given themselves up in verse 19? They've given themselves up. Right? They're, they're culpable. It's, it's, it's their own doing. And in verse 17, Paul is saying, don't live that way. Don't live that way. 
Do not live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The heart of man, every single one, is just this way. It's hard. And it is so because of Adam's fall. But God also simultaneously warns us to not participate in the hardening of heart. Let's look at, uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Making the, chan- the transition a little bit from what, what is a description ultimately of an unbeliever there to the charge to us as believers. It's found in Hebrews chapter 3. is a quote from Psalm 95. I think David might have written this song. Just read a couple verses throughout here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8, well, 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's, He's calling us to not harden our hearts. Verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. And then again, chapter 4, verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David, as so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. At the the, the call of the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ... What, what we're calling people to do, what God is calling us to do, is to stop hardening our heart. The, the gospel is confronting hardness of heart. But we as believers, we need, to, we need to understand, we need to beware of our current ability to harden our heart. And why is that? Well, because we're in the center there. We're a mixed condition. We still have the tendency to do this, to, to harden our heart. Remember, before Christ, all you could do without Christ was to be hardened in heart. There, there was no way out of that. You were hardened in heart. But now, you, you struggle, you fight against uh, hardness of heart. Ultimately, when we're in heaven, again, it'll be an unmixed condition. And this won't be a struggle. Our hearts will be soft and pliable. Uh, this won't, we won't need to be appealed to to refrain from hardening our hearts. Look again at Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 12. This is just getting more at it. He says, take care, brothers. Who do you think those brothers are? Those are probably believers, right? So he's, he's charging the believers here. He's talking to believers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. This is one of the Hebrews' warning passages. Speaking to Christians. But exhort one another every day, as long as it, it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin will only do one thing in our lives, harden us. 
This is the first troubling truth. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. The second truth, the second troubling truth. Whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in my heart. Not belief. This is in Hebrews chapter 3 as well. Whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in, in the heart. Not belief. What the author was addressing with the church he wrote to was similar to what Israel continually went through. Again, Hebrews Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The church must also labor to root out this natural inclination to not trust the living God. Why would, a, why would a passage like this exist if, if the heart was inclined to belief? It's not. That's why this passage exists. When God saved you, he radically transformed you, but the nature of sin was not transformed. Sin is the same. Sin stayed the same. You've changed. You know, if, if, if you think of a, I don't know, if you personify sin as a lion... You know, the, the lion didn't change. It's still the lion. Now you changed. You're a new creation. You've got tools to fight the lion, but the tactics of the lion haven't changed. They're the same. And they attack us in the same way. Whether it's hardness of heart or whether it's here, just the nature of, you know, who we are in our flesh is naturally inclined towards unbelief. Sin is the same. Sin only knows how to harden you by its deceitfulness, which is what this passage is talking about. It only knows how to do that. It doesn't change. Yes, you have the benefits of regeneration, new identity in Christ. You are enslaved to God, to righteousness, to obedience. You are able not to sin. You are able to shepherd your heart away from sin and to God. But in our mixed condition... We still wrestle with the lingering effects of sin. We still wrestle with those. And it never ends. Not until we obtain another unmixed condition. (laughs) Here's the stark reality. Because of indwelling sin's lingering effects, if you do nothing with your heart, if you do not shepherd your heart with the word of God and the gospel... It will rush. It, it will, will it rush into belief? No, it won't. Rather, it will slide easily into disbelief. It will always go that direction. This is like physics. This is like entropy. You know, if you take a, if you take a wheel on a bike and you turn the bike upside down and you throw the wheel and you spin it, what's going to happen? Is it just going to continue to run? No, it's going to slowly stop. And so it is with with our heart. So it is with the Christian life. If something's not energizing that, if we're not working to continue to propel that and energize it, our flesh will win. And the, the warning here is 
to, to continue to fight against that sin and persevere all the way to the end. In such, and, and as you do that, you prove yourself faithful. You prove yourself a man of God. And for everyone that is in Christ, you will persevere to the end. It's a, it's a promise. But you can't just back away and say, well, he spun the wheel. Let's see what happens. It doesn't work that way. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Let's go to another passage here. This is just an example from the disciples. Luke 24, verse 25. This is after the resurrection of Jesus on the Emmaus Road. You had these two disciples who were there, and uh, Jesus, I don't know, under disguise of some sorts. Uh, it says that their eyes were kept from, from recognizing who Jesus was. And they strike up a conversation with Jesus, and they say in verse 21 that they hope that he was the one, that is, Jesus uh, was the one to redeem Israel. Uh, he talks about the women that saw Jesus and they were amazed and there was an angel there. Uh, there was a vision of angels. And then in verse 25, he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it, nece- was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These disciples had hearts that were not quick to trust, but trust, but rather they were slow to believe. Everything that they had just eyewitnessed, a substitute being offered, blood being shed, and it didn't register in in their hearts that this was true. They still struggled. Their hearts were not quick to tie what they saw back to what the scripture revealed about the Messiah. They needed help. The resurrected Christ had to work or labor against that natural rooted slowness of heart that day. And slowness of heart to believe is a condition the believer will face because of indwelling sin. Where you will find sin, you will find it slowly dragging your heart away from trusting the Lord. And if you do nothing, like we've already said, you will not grow in your faith. This is, in fact, a troubling truth for your heart and for my heart. Number three, self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. This is in Matthew chapter 15. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Suppose it crosses your mind, or an unbeliever's mind, that at some point he must be religious. He's got to get his act together. Well, this was a common theme in the first century with uh, the religious Jews. They had years of traditions and customs that... They had uh, put together in an effort to be uh, self, uh, in an effort to, to be righteous on their own merits. Uh, in Matthew chapter 15, you have this group of Pharisees and scribes that come to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they say, 
Why do your disciples break, he's speaking to Jesus now, why do your disciples break the the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus, I'm just struck by his, he, he, you know, one question and he just turns. I mean, he just goes and attacks them, I think, pretty, pretty strongly here. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother may surely, must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God... He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the, 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 uh, the Jews in, in Jesus's day, they had a practice where they would take monies that they had and they would aside, you know, put them to the side and say, these are, these are for God. These are dedicated to God. And so even though their mother or father or a relative or someone was hurting and needed their care, they found a reason they built into their own religious practice, a reason to not actually follow what God commanded to honor your father and mother because, Oh, I've apportioned this money to God. This is dedicated to God. This is a self-made religion. I was, in, in, in reading through this, I was just, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but I, I'm just always struck by what, the, what this kind of stuff. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mishnah, but this, is just, this just gives you an idea of, of the, the, um, the number of rules and practices that first century Judaism had that they built around the Mosaic Code, the Mosaic Law. And so this is just, this is just an English translation of, of, of which was originally written, written in Hebrew. And so the, the, the way that the Jews thought was, you know, you might think that this would be a good idea. You know, you have, you have the, the, the law code, and so they built this kind of hedge around the law code. And they thought, oh, this will protect us. We'll build this hedge around the law code, and that way we'll never break the commandment of Moses because we'll never even get there because we're way out here. But they, have, they had made a, a, a bunch of rules that were actually easier to keep than the, than the law code. And so they, 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 they put themselves on pedestals because, oh, look, we've done all this. We've washed our hands so many times. We've dedicated our money to God. But Jesus is saying, but actually, the, the law says, honor your father and mother. You know, or how about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, that's impossible. But it's possible to wash my hands rightly. But it's not possible to love your, the Lord your God. And that's the whole point, that they couldn't do that. So the, the, the law was, was, should have exposed their own sinfulness, and it didn't. But they just puffed themselves up on self-made religion. And just to give you an example, I was just, this is just me, just, I don't know. This is, this is a rule for, for hand-washing. So here he's talking about the, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're talking about hand-washing. They're talking about, why, why do you guys not wash your hands? Well, there's nothing written in the law about that. But in here there are. And so this is the kind of thing that they would have done. There's a whole section on here on Yadim, how to, how to wash your hands. The hands are susceptible to uncleanliness, and they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Now listen to this. Thus if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. 
But if he poured both the first water and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone, and then bethought himself and poured the second water over both hands, they remain unclean. If he poured the first water over both hands, and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand alone is clean. If he had poured the water over the one hand and rubbed it to the other, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. The water may be poured over the hands four or five persons side by side or one above the other, provided that they lie but loosely together so that the water may flow between them. Just to give you a ridiculous idea of this is, these are the kind of things that the Mishnah contains. All of these detailed accounts about washings and all these religious practices. And you know what? Man can do that. Man can do that. We could all do that. And we could, we could hold that up like we've achieved some righteousness of God because we followed the Mishnah. But what does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Those are difficult things. Those are difficult things. So self-made religion, this kind of thing, following a, some kind of you know, prescription that's out extra biblical, it never moves the heart nearer to God. It never does that. It always moves us far away from God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's quoting here, you know. He says, this, this people honors me with their lips, verse 8, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. <clears throat> they appear very religious, but God's assessment of them is that even though they are religious, their heart is far from him. And they're innovative. They are definitely innovative, but it gets them nowhere. So here's, here's our troubling truths then. Hardness of heart keeps the sinner from God. Or to put it another way, number two, the heart falls into unbelief naturally. Like an ice cube at the top of a hot metal slide in August. It just slides down very easily. But suppose it crosses the sinner's mind to be religious. Suppose the sinner on his own part from God wants God to accept his version of religion over God's own commands. That kind of heart is not open to God, no matter what those practices are. It keeps him far from God. What is the sinner's hope then? Well, I think you guys know the answer to that. It's God. God is our hope. And not just any God but a God who won't be motivated to act on the basis of what he sees in the sinner, but is motivated by his own desire to save sinners. Think about what happens at, the, uh, think about what happens at conversion. Uh, the, the hardness of heart, this slowness to believe, this unbelief, this uh, propensity towards self-made religion. The power of these to enslave the believer is broken at regeneration. We're no longer enslaved to these things. But the power, but sin hasn't changed and the power to harass us is still there. Sin still has the power to harass us. Although we're not enslaved to it. These conditions have a lingering, harassing presence. In, in conversion, the believer is equipped, is equipped, excuse me, to now fight these lingering, harassing heart conditions. We can still harden our heart because of the deceitfulness of sin, like it says in Hebrews chapter 3. We still fall into doubt and unbelief 
at times. We're still capable of having our hearts far from God while our lips make us sound like we just left his presence. So that's, that's the, those are the warnings. Those, that's the bad news. And so I want to transition from those, those uh, troubling truths to five comforting truths. Five comforting truths. We get to see kind of God's, you know, interaction with the heart from beginning to end here. And we, we, we see what it's like in the unbeliever. We still war against that in the mixed condition. And then we're looking forward now even, even further. We're looking really towards the gospel. God overcomes hardness of heart. He overcomes slowness of heart to believe. He, he dispels foolishly offensive self-made religion from the heart. At the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, God creates a new inner man to see what the sinner's old inner man could never see on its own. So I'll give you another blank here. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. This is 2 Corinthians. I don't know if you have the Bible verses there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. a familiar passage verse 5 for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake and why do we proclaim that for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ If God shines into our hearts to give spiritual enlightenment, that means that the heart was in darkness before. And what kind of what kind of light or uh, power light is could do this? Well, it's the the kind of light that comes from a creator. There, there, There has to be creative power here to do this kind of thing. It's the only kind of light that is able to penetrate the unbeliever's heart. There's no other kind of light. How bad, how devastating, how formidable was our spiritual darkness? So bad that only God's light, only his creative power can overcome it. It's the only thing that will will lead us to the knowledge of, of the glory of Christ. He does or did not wait for darkened minds, hardened, unbelieving hearts to turn on the light needed. He didn't, he didn't wait for that. I mean, what is, what is the, the quote here from in this verse? Let light, let, light, let light shine out of darkness. This is in reference to creation, right? I mean, this is the, he's taking the physical creation and he's saying something about our state. He, he's moving, you know, from cosmology to anthropology. Like we're being changed. And there's a creation, there's something that's happening inside of you. Let light shine out of darkness. I, I hope all of you have experienced this in your life. Uh, you know, uh, 
I, I hope that all of you have believed. I hope this is a reality for, for every one of you. Uh, if it's not, then I think, you know, as we go through these, you need to think about, you know, you just need to ask the question in your own heart. Like, is that, is that true of my life? Have I experienced divine power? Has there been a creation in my heart? Uh, a new creation. That's, that's, a, that's an important thing. If, if you don't do that as we walk through this, then if there's any doubt, you, you, need, to, you need to just do that as we, as we talk through these. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. Number two, the second comforting truth for, for my heart. God cleanses hearts through faith. God cleanses hearts through faith. Acts chapter 15. This is the Jerusalem Council. Paul and Barnabas have completed their first missionary journey uh, by this time in the book of Acts. Uh, some, uh, some believing Jews had come to Antioch and they were teaching uh, a false gospel. They were teaching that uh, you had to, yes, believe in Jesus, but you had to do something else also. Right? This, is, this goes back to the Mishnah. This goes back to the idea of adding something. Uh, self-made religion. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus. We acknowledge Jesus, but wait a second. What about the circumcision of Moses? But what, about the, 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 what, do you, what about those rules? You still need to keep those to be saved. Which would exclude the Gentiles. <clears throat> I should say the custom of Moses. Uh, so these Jews are teaching Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. And that's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, the heart is filthy and in need of cleansing. Let's, let's look at this. Uh, Acts 15 verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this manner. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You think about Acts 10 and Cornelius, uh, verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving, him, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having done what? Cleansed their hearts by faith. Cleansed their hearts by faith. Again, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, the heart is filthy and it's in need of cleansing. God will be the one to do it. To do it. Matthew 15 made it clear what self-religion does for the heart. It doesn't do anything. We need the transformative power of the gospel. We need a cleansing. We need an enlightenment. No self-cleansing is called for. God never calls us to somehow pick up our bootstraps and just get it together. That's not the charge. To somehow maybe self-reform. Your flesh will desire that. Always your flesh will go that direction. But God does not demand that of us. He doesn't. He knows that a cleansing is needed. A washing. And what is the means of that cleansing? Cleansed their hearts by faith, it says. What is faith? It's the great act of looking away from yourself. Looking away from yourself in order to entirely entrust yourself to God. Some men have said, you know, casting yourself on God. 
casting yourself on God. I like the way Jonathan Edwards said it. Venturing your all on Christ. Placing all your trust on Christ. When you think about where you will go, you know, whether it's heaven or hell, and, and you, know, you have nothing to offer, and you just throw yourself on the Savior. I trust you, Lord. You are my Lord. You are my master. I trust your ways. I'm going to venture everything on who you are and your word. You recall in Ephesians, it says, by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. As long as you remain in a heart condition where you are willing to look to yourself, you will never trust God. And therefore, you remain filthy before him. That's the Matthew 15 thinking. And this requires the work of God on your behalf. This requires God's action. I hope that you guys have had your, your hearts cleansed through faith. Our hearts move from dirty, a, a, an unbelieving dirtiness to a, a cleanliness in faith. This is a comforting truth. God enlightens dark hearts. He cleanses hearts through faith. And thirdly, God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. He frees the heart from sin to become obedient. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, unmixed condition, slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, slaves of righteousness. Notice the progression. Slaves of sin, having been set free, become slaves of righteousness. God frees the heart in order to bind it to something else. I know I, I just think of the, it's a parenting thing, but you know, I think about trips and his shepherding a, a child's heart. Your kids are going to worship something. <laughs> They're going to worship something. And so, you know, you, you have this chain and it's tied to your neck and it's always tied to your neck. But what is it attached to? You know, are you a slave of sin or are you a slave of righteousness? There's no middle. God frees the heart in order to bind it to something else. And this slavery is not experienced begrudgingly. It's not like, oh man, I have to be a slave of righteousness. Maybe your flesh says that, but the spirits work inside of us. First John 5, 3, his commandments are not burdensome. This, this is part of the mixed, the, the, the mixed condition. It's that we, we, we want this. We desire this. If you didn't desire it, you wouldn't be here, guys. You, know? you wouldn't sit through a build discussion group and talk about your heart. But you want it. There's something inside of you that says, this is right. This is good. Because you're a new creation. Unless you're not, and you think, oh, if I do this, then people look at me a certain way, and you know, I, maybe I get to go to heaven. You know, maybe it's self-made religion. I hope it's not for any of you. But we're here because, because we've been changed. And we, we, we know that the flesh war, the, we know that battle. We feel it every day. But we desire to be obedient. His commandments are not burdensome. 
What does your flesh think about his commandments? Well, our flesh indeed does despise the commandments. But the new man has the power to wrestle the flesh to the ground. Just, I mean, we're in a fight, man. I mean, we're, 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 we're on the mat and we're just fighting to wrestle sin to the ground. And you can do it without cottage cheese ears, right? That's good. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I'm thinking rightly, when we're thinking rightly, we love God's commands. And if that's a battle for you guys, I I would encourage you to go to Psalm 119 and just meditate and pray and read that. And just read stanza by stanza. Because you have the picture of a, a portrait of a man who is in love with God's commands. Who sees the benefit of them. When God saves the sinner, the first place he goes to work is on his heart. The inner man. That is where bondage to sin exists. The hardness and slowness to believe. The quickness to establish self-made Religion is nurtured there. But by the grace of God, your heart was able to hear another voice over the voice of an old master. That old master was sin. And now you can hear God's voice. We used to be only able to hear sin's voice commanding us. But now we can hear God's voice through his word. He has switched our heart's allegiance. He's enlightened us. He's cleansed them by faith. And we found obedience from the heart to God, actually possible. I just love the, you were and you became. You were once slaves of sin and you have become obedient from the heart. And the, the, there's a, you know, it's pa- the, the idea is passive here, right? Uh, it's, it's the, we're not doing the action, God's doing the action. We have become obedient, having been set free, right? We're not, the the subject isn't us, it's God. God is doing this work in us. The, The committing, you know, the standard teaching to which you were committed, that committedness, the committing was done for you by someone else. You do not have obedience to God by the hand. Rather, obedience to God has you by the heart. This is a comforting truth. It always comforts my heart when I go to passages like this in the midst of my sin and the discouragements that I feel. And I know that man, I can find obedience. It doesn't have to be this way. I can war against this. I can fight against this. And I can have victory. That's a comforting truth. Number four. Christ makes himself at home in hearts by faith. Ephesians chapter 3. Christ makes himself at home in hearts by faith. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. This is a prayer from Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, purpose statement, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to unbelievers or believers? He's writing to believers. So when he, when he talks about Christ dwelling in your heart, he's not talking about the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about something different here. He's talking about Christ being at home in your heart, dwelling in your heart. This is not the, uh, the original indwelling of Christ at conversion. We're not to pray that that would occur, because that already has occurred. We are to pray for a richer, deeper, practical indwelling of Christ here. The, 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 the idea of dwelling here is not a temporary dwelling. This word isn't used of a temporary dwelling. It's used of, of a, something that's, this isn't like pitching a tent, but this is a, uh, an at-home kind of dwelling. This is a, something that's deeper than that. Just a couple passages to compare it to to show you. Uh, Colossians chapter 119. This is used of the deity of Christ. The same word is used. Colossians 119. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Same idea. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell or be at home in, in our Savior, in Jesus. And then Colossians 2.9 for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. How, how at home is God's deity or God's goodness in Jesus? It's at home, right? It's a perfect fit. That's the way Christ's practical indwelling is to be like within us. Notice I say practical indwelling. And like his original dwell, indwelling came by faith through grace. This practical indwelling comes also by, by or through faith. This is a, an ongoing trust. Yes, Christ dwells in us positionally, but what kind of residence does he find you to be for him? He is there, but what are you filling your heart with such that Christ can be home at home in your heart? Does Jesus find your heart to feel like a hotel room or a home? I know, I don't know about you guys, but man, I like to be home. There's something about being home that's just nice. Uh, so it's a good word picture for, for Christ. Is, is, this a, is this a, you know, is the bed not made? Is this a hotel room that's dirty and just he doesn't feel welcome? I can't wait to get out of here. We've all been in those hotel rooms. <laughs> or is this home? And what will help you to, to enable Christ to dwell in your heart through faith, to, to make his home in your heart? Well, he says in the prayer here that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. The divine strength comes through the Holy Spirit. Verse 316. Here's your last blank. This is number five. Christ establishes hearts without blame in holiness. Christ establishes hearts 
without blame in holiness. First Thessalonians chapter five or chapter three. Three eleven through 13. And this is another prayer from Paul. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Another purpose statement. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Make their hearts strong or settled. Uh, He may establish your heart. And negatively, he's establishing our hearts without blame. And then positively, he's doing it in holiness. Without blame, in holiness. And where is he doing this? Before our God and Father. When? All these prepositions, you can just ask these questions. You have a purpose statement. You have before, you have uh, when does this happen? Well, it happens at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And this all happens, it's governed by what's above. Now may our Lord and God, God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our ways to you and, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Abounding in love. This is in connection with loving one another. There's a a connection with with one another's and establishing our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is a kind of a forward look, I think, maybe to glorification. It's talking about the coming of Jesus. Uh, It's tied to Christ's presence, which will usher the saints into the presence of God. From conversion all the way to glorification, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are active within us. They are powerful in us, not at some external level, but at the heart level, inside of us. God commits himself to us at the heart level from start to finish. Notice each of these comforting truths are about what God does for the heart. God is the subject of all of us, not not us. God is doing the work, right? God enlightens the heart. God cleanses the heart. God frees the heart. God or Christ makes himself at home in the heart. Christ establishes the heart. The gospel is all about God and what he does to create a new heart, a new inner man, a new creation, a new creature. What were what were our hearts without without Christ? What were they? We saw that at the beginning. They were hard. They were unbelieving. They were prone to, to build a fence around and, and, and then you know hold that up like we've done something righteous. Our hearts are prone to do that. This is what God had to do to change our hearts and secure us in our heart all the way to the end. He had to enlighten, cleanse, free, make himself at home in. That is to dwell. He had to establish the heart. Christ did all those things. So what about you and me? What do we do? What about us? What is to be our response to God's amazing, personal, and powerful work in our hearts? 
what God gives attention to, we ought to give attention to. And so the things that God does in our hearts, these are the same kind of things that we need to, we need to walk parallel with God. These are the things that we need to hold up. These are the things that we need to be after. My response to God's heart, God's heart work within me is to shepherd my heart to the word of God in order to worship, love, fear, know, obey the God of the word. To keep my heart throughout the day soft to God's word. We are to fight against hardness. We are to realize that without a a healthy dose of God's word, uh, without spiritual disciplines, uh, our heart has a tendency to to get hard and to move towards unbelief. That's where our heart is naturally going to go. And we need to run away from self-religion, self-made religion. We, We cannot do that. And you just have to search your heart to see if that's, that's something that you're prone to do and that you're doing. We need to fight for the things that God is working and doing in our lives. Enlightenment, cleansing, freedom, dwelling, establish, establishment, or the establishment, his establishment in our heart. Praise the Lord that we don't hold the condition of our hearts, but that he is doing the hard work. Bless you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in us, Lord. We thank you that you don't uh, call us to do something that we're uh, incapable of, do- of doing. Uh, you, you have done the work first. Uh, certainly we were uh, incapable of saving ourselves. There was a, uh, an inherent inability to do anything to save ourselves, Lord. You regenerated our hearts. There was an event, something that happened. Uh, and you changed us and you gave us uh, a transformation. Uh, we are a new creation. And so we've entered into this season of our life in which there's a mixed condition. Uh, our desires are, have changed. Our affections have changed. Uh, but But we still walk around in this flesh and we still have sinful thoughts, sinful patterns, uh, the residue, the the lingering effects are still here and we feel that every day. God, I pray that you would help us to to think rightly about our, our, our new creation and who we are. I pray that we wouldn't just gloss over uh, this, the hardness of heart, gloss over this unbelief, but we would, we would pursue holiness and, and understand that these negative things, we have to focus on them too. We have to understand where, what, can be, what can happen to us. Uh, and then I pray, Lord, as well, that these men would be comfort, comforted by these amazing truths, uh, what you are doing in our heart, that you are after us, you are pursuing us. We didn't do anything. You came and you, you sent your son. Just the idea of sending. You did something to redeem us, Lord. Not so that we could be great ourselves, but so one day we would be in your presence and we would be praising you forever and ever and ever. To the praise of your glorious grace. Ephesians 1. I, I don't know if there's anything greater that can be said. Uh, it's all to you. It's from you. It's through you. And we just, we, we, we bow the knee and we submit to you. I pray for these men. Give them strength, Lord, to, to be conformed to your image, Lord. And we look forward to the day in which we will uh, 
stand together around your throne and sing your praises forevermore. Uh, You are indeed good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.